0: purple get ready to roll indeed this is the college and kimball podcast i'm your host jeff burkhart joined as always by justin nutter clint wilson and alex speth we've got the full cast of characters here for you for this q a episode and before we do dive into your twitter questions uh we're going to do the obvious the podcast things here go ahead and subscribe on whatever your preferred platform is and give us a rating and review again we greatly appreciate any feedback that we can get on our little show here. And lastly, follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's college underscore Kimball. And uh, we do certainly hope to solicit more questions for Q&A pods as we get towards the end of the season. Hopefully we're, we're doing this in the weeks between the end of the regular season and leading up to whatever bowl game Kansas State lands in. But with all that said, we'll go ahead and jump into your Twitter questions. Thanks again to those of you who dropped us uh, a line this past week. And we're going to start off with one. Uh, Again, we got a potpourri of topics here for you, both football and non-football related. Uh, How often should you change your furnace filter? And that comes to us from some jack-off called uh, Jay Nutter, uh, better known as the Weekly Nutter on twitter boy uh, what a
1: stupid last name that guy has
0: <laughs> um well according to a post on homeserve.com thomas and galbraith heating and cooling and plumbing recommends you swap it out every 30 to 90 days if the filter is two inches or less in thickness um i'm speaking to somebody who's owned a home for close to six years now i, I know i am not adhering to that law or that rule <laughs> rule right there. Uh, but Alex, I know you said you had a, a furnace filter story that you wanted to share with the group and the <laughs> smile on your face is probably, you better. this better be worth it, man. That's all I'm saying.
2: <laughs> it is definitely not worth it, but the guy we bought our house from worked at a, he works at like a nursing home as a maintenance guy. And he left us like 300 furnace filters in our basement because he had ordered them for work at the nursing home and then they didn't fit their furnace. So he just brought them home. So he's like, "Eh, if you buy the house, you get all the lifetime supply of furnace filters. So, yeah. Does anyone need the box of furnace filters? Do you ever build forts out of them? That's what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) It's on my to-do list. How old are your kids again? They're like prime fort age. Well, this is down in the unfinished part of the basement. We, you know, no one wants to go down there. It's like a uh, home alone with the furnace and all that.
3: Do yeah, when any... I moved into my house, you could tell that the uh, previous owners hadn't changed the filter in probably a couple years. We replaced the furnace right away.
2: Just pull it out as black. You <laughs> know, just yeah. <laughs> game over, bitches. Sorry, and Alex is showing us that he's a, a
0: temper,
2: a temporary Dodgers fan, apparently. <laughs> a permanent Cardinal hater is what I am. <laughs> and they just lost on a walk-off home run in the bottom of the, in the ninth inning of a elimination game. So I'll awesome. we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, <laughs>
0: so that there we uh there we go we're delivering some uh some home improvement tips to you guys here uh so we'll jump into the next question we did uh, again we get so we got some about football we get some other ones um so nova underscore prospect uh said love colin klein but maybe is it time to consider a different perspective at quarterback coach um, who wants to jump on this one first
3: uh, it's definitely something that has crossed a lot of our minds uh, over the course of the season and last season. Um, you know, if Skyler continues to play like he did this past week, I think we're all going to be pretty happy with uh, Colin Klein. But, um, you know, being a position coach is kind of a week-to-week thing. You know, if you're there's a couple weeks where Messingham was looking like a great play caller and a – then all of a sudden the next week everyone's ready to get rid of him. It's the same for Colin Klein. Even if you are a K State legend, you still have to a kind of a what have you done for me lately kind of deal.
1: It's uh it's kind of the Scott Frost effect in Manhattan, right? Like that's kind of the risk you run when you bring in one of your own. Um and obviously that question's going to loom larger and larger when we get to next season where injuries be damned, Skyler's gone regardless. So uh you know what yeah, is he? <laughs> <laughs> or will we see an unprecedented seventh season um no it uh it's you know it's definitely a question worth asking you know i know there's definitely been some c- concern especially with knowing what we have in the cupboard behind skyler has just not been able to get it done and the opportunities they've had so you know do we do we go to the transfer portal in the off season? do we do we go the juco route you know it's hard to say but uh i mean i do think it's fair to ask i don't know that i have an answer for it but it's you would be foolish to you would be foolish to dismiss it entirely,
2: so my opinion is I always thought it was kind of like when we hired him, he's getting into coaching. He went to what northern Iowa for like one year. yep, yep. and then came back. To me, it was always like, is Colin Klein the guy you want to coach your quarterbacks? Like he was never a very good like passing quarterback. like he he had definitely had production by his senior year as a throwing quarterback but i don't think anything he was doing out there other than you know being a good running quarterback a battering ram so even when we hired him i'm like i'm pretty sure he's just getting hired because he's Colin klein like nothing he did as a quarterback showed me like this is the guy i want teaching all my mechanics to a quarterback granted he can teach other things as far as you know, reading defenses and just, you know, the the non-mechanical parts of being a quarterback for sure. But I will ask, you know, I bet a lot of us probably had that thought when we originally hired him, like quarterbacks coach mm, probably is getting that job based on his name. The other thing is all I ask of Kleiman is any sort of coaching, staffing changes be merit-based. You know, don't keep guys because you're, they're your friends. Don't keep guys because they're legends. If you don't think it's working out and you can get an upgrade, then the move needs to be made regardless of who it is. So that's that's what I think. I'll, I'll say
0: this much on this one. Um, I don't think you can discount the step forward that Skylar took 2018 to 2019 and the one and what will be the one and only season in which he was fully healthy the entire time um and again i think but <laughs> i think we have a an absurd amount of fans that don't really realize where kansas state falls in the pecking order of college assistant coaches because the other thing that you have to consider as well is that if you Acts, Colin Klein. Chances are you are going to have to take a downgrade at this position, and you're probably going to have to look at the FCS level, potentially the D two level. I'm not saying that they would. uh, I'm not saying, and I'm also not discounting the possibility that you could go and find somebody at at another D one, like a G five school. But I, I'm not. You're not going to be able to just cherry pick and say, I want the quarterback coach for Penn State, or I want the quarterback coach at Michigan. You're just you, you don't have the salary pool to do that. you don't have the job clout and prestige to do that. You're, you're going to have to take a chance likely on, on someone who like Colin is probably fairly young in, in his development as a coach and whatnot. and, and again, I, I try my best not to be prisoner of the moment and I think a lot of people are basing this, well, I'm mad and I have to point to something that is making me mad. I have to blame this on somebody. If you want to just look back and, and throw all the shit on Will Howard and his first seven starts last season as a true freshman when he's only you know, 17, 18 years old or whatever, and then you know, get upset about the the first start that he has on the road against Oklahoma State in a true, like, road atmosphere. Like, I feel like a lot of our fans are just trying to find someone to blame for all the shortcomings. But I think what Colin has shown when we do have a healthy Skyler and I think that Skyler has, de- I, I feel like you have to credit somebody for Skyler's development. And I think some of that goes to the continuity with having Skyler and Messingham on the same staff for three years, like, and also Skyler making 33 starts. That was this 33rd start this past Saturday. I think it's all relevant, man. And there's just no substitute for experience. I, I, I do think a lot more of this falls into more of the camp of, do we have our answer at quarterback, and how patient are we willing to be? I feel like this offense again. Look at what K State just did to one of the best defenses in the country with a hobbled quarterback. I think we showed that this offense can work, and that we have a system that can produce points and yards. Like, it's are you going to be? Are us fans going to be willing to be patient enough to to go through the growing pain? If, if that's the other thing too. If you're clamoring for Jake Rubley next year, you're going to have to deal with a whole lot of shit when he goes out there. There's going to be some bad three and four pick games that are going to be in there that you're just going to have to suck it up and deal with. And and you would have to deal with that, too, if you're going in and yanking some kid out of the transfer portal that's going to have to come in and learn an offense in two months and be ready to go for fall camp like you're just gonna to have to learn to deal like that's that's just kind of the long and the short of it here this is not a sexy offense it's not a fun offense to watch you need the experience you need the reps to look and be effective in this and i think that's the long and the short of what you have to to kind of accept and acknowledge as a fan um and and again i, I think as far as wanting to replace klein that's your that's your guys choice man if, if you want to put everything on his shoulders, that's fine. But I I think he, he and Messingham have shown that with the experience, Skylar Thompson, that this offense can be not just functional, but effective. That's, that's my thought there.
1: I know it kind of goes against the grain of the conversation, but do you guys think other colleges fan bases obsess as much about bringing in former guys to coach their former positions?
2: I think there's a level of that's everywhere, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably see it everywhere,
0: but, you know, if you're just locked in like we are to K-State, I'm sure you see it there, or you're only going to really be focused on your own school, but I admittedly am not attuned to what, you know, Oregon State is doing it. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way we can No, I it. I think there's merit to that, absolutely.
1: And it probably doesn't help that, you know, Snyder's last staff was essentially all former Snyder players coaching their respective positions. But, you know, I did like on a message board thread earlier this week, I saw in the same breath someone say something about it's not working out with Klein. Also, we should hire Jordy to coach the receivers. <laughs> Jordy's never coached a day in his life. Like, guys, let's let's think about this for a minute. I don't know. I was just curious if you guys think that's as rampant as it seems to be in our fan base.
0: I do agree with Alex, and, and to elaborate on that point, though, I, I think this is a much more pervasive problem at non-blue-blood schools. The fans of those non-traditional powers are going back, you know, 10 years, 15, whatever you you deem "quote unquote" recent history, and they're trying to find the the, the catalyst on that great 2004 team, or who, or who was that great quarterback we had in 06. and and they're, they're trying to find that one guy and, and convince themselves, oh, yeah, and I, I, know, I know it just floated Oregon State out there. I am sure, and I would bet my life on it, that somebody has said, oh, yeah, Chad Ochocinco totally wants to come back, wants to coach wide receivers. He's got a guy, a four-star kid, already in tow for 23, two five-stars on the hook for 24. We just got to open up the coffers, throw a couple bucks at him. He's going to be a little pricey like you know that talking point has been brought up and and i'm sure like boston college fans oh yeah as soon as matt ryan retires he's coming back he's gonna coach qbs we're gonna bump him up to offensive coordinator again just having having watched that type of coaching search unfold i i always think back to when i first started reading message boards which was really in the height of the woolly era and we seemed like every year you know oh well we went 17 and, and 14 and we went 6 and 10 in conference play are we gonna fire are we gonna fire him or are we gonna look for somebody new and when that coaching thread search comes up you would inevitably read oh yeah Rolando Blackman talked to him the other day totally wants to come back or if it wasn't Rolando Blackman it was Mitch Richmond I, again I I know that's that's very Myopic, and that's just something that pertains to us here as K State fans. But I I do feel like that's probably much more commonplace, uh, again, for non-blue blood programs when they're trying to find a solution to a problem. But but I do think that speaks though to a much larger issue in college coaching. We have fans that are so erratic and so unbelievably impatient now that as soon as the offense strings together two subpar outings it's well the quarterback play was totally at fault there we need to get a new qb coach we need to fire the offensive coordinator we need to hit the transfer portal again if you're just going to be perpetually searching and and turning coaches over that's not a recipe for success especially at a non-traditional power it's one thing if you're alabama and i can go and hire lane fucking kiffin to coach my offense or i can hire steve sarkeesian to coach my offense or uh, i've got i've got Butch Jones who was coaching Tennessee i've got him as an analyst on on my staff at Alabama like it's one thing if you're in Alabama's position and you can go and hire guys that used to have two commas in their fucking salary that's not what K-State has that's not what what K-State will ever have as a fan of a non blue blood program you you have to be willing to be patient you have to be willing to build because Candidly, that's the only way that you're going to sustain any kind of success at at schools like Kansas State, like Oregon State, like Arizona, like Northwestern. You you have to commit to your guys. And and I I, I don't say that. I say that knowing that if things are going sideways, if 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 you've gone through a four and eight, a five and seven, and then another four and eight, yeah, it's probably time to cut bait and start looking around and trying to find a new head coach and bring in a new staff. But with with this group, we had Kleiman go eight and four in year number one, four and six last year in a, in a weird season that's that, dare I say, will will never, knock on wood, will never happen again in college f- football. And now we're off to a three and two start. And yeah, the offense had one outing in which they they kind of sputtered when, when Will Howard and Jaron Lewis had to shuffling at quarterback if you're willing to just totally go off the deep end after one bad outing like you're just going to be perpetually upset you're never going to be satisfied with anything that the program is doing and and again i've just i've watched enough and i've seen enough in my life and i know i say this is somebody who's only 34 but i i feel like i have to be patient i can't be prisoner of the moment i know that there are are especially now the classism that exists within college football, the divide between Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and then the rest of us, it's pretty freaking big. And you have to be willing to be patient with your head coach, your position coaches, to a point, to a point. But at this stage, we're, we're, we're midway through year number three for this group. I can't say in good faith that pulling the plug is the best idea and the best way to proceed for Kansas State I just I just can't and again I have messing him and company yes there are days where the offense is plotting and it's frustrating and, and but there are also I can't just also completely disregard 2019 Skyler's huge development the big step that he took in that season the start that he got off to in 2020 like I I can't just disregard all that so like I said, if, if you're one of those fans who is just clamoring for something new every week and is clamoring for somebody to fe- be fired, like I said, my best advice to you is to grow up and, and, and take a step back and realize where Kansas State falls in, in, in the overall spectrum of college football and, and what we will realistically have access to in terms of recru- football talent recruiting and what we can also recruit in terms of assistant coaches. You just have to acknowledge that they're Are going to be some limitations there, but it's not to say you can't go and find a really sharp up-and-coming FCS coordinator or somebody at the G5 level. I think all of us are pretty satisfied with what we've seen from Tremaine Carroll at Strength and Conditioning. It's not to say that you can't go and pluck somebody from a, you know, a Louisiana Lafayette or a Coastal or an App State or I mean, whoever it may be. Coaches are always looking to make the climb up the ladder, And, and there's there's talent that's out there, but just know that again you you have to be willing to be patient with certain groups of coaches and 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 wanting to pull the plug after a bad one bad game is not a healthy outlook i'm just being quite honest there and and again that's that's why i'm willing to wait a little bit longer on klein and, and certainly a little bit longer on messingham before i say we we need to truthfully consider making a change at that uh at either one of those spots on the coaching staff so with that being said, I'll go ahead and pivot into a much more uh, lighthearted question because uh, I took up quite a bit of air on that one. Uh, this one also from Nova Prospect. Uh, this is about beer sales, uh, yay or nay? And if you do say yay, that assumes no reentry. Uh, who wants to jump on this one first? Well,
3: we made our, our trip down to Oklahoma State a week ago, two weeks ago, and they have beer sales in there. And, you know, I had a pretty good time, even though, you know, the game wasn't so great. So, you know, that's, I thought it was pretty nice. I, I think they should do that at K-State.
2: So this is coming from a guy who isn't the biggest tailgater and I don't drink much. Uh, but even if I did tailgate, I never left the game at halftime to go tailgate. I've never really understood that, you know, I'm here to watch a football game and enjoy a, a good environment. So My thing is do whatever you can to keep people from going to the fucking parking lot at halftime because the half of the third quarter atmosphere is just always terrible. It looks like shit on TV, and I just don't understand. You could drink before the game and after the game as much as you want. Like, if you need two beers during halftime, then sell the two beers. Have people, you know, Clint said we're at Oklahoma State, and you know they were just walking right by us saying you want to buy some beer? Sure. You know it doesn't have to be that hard.
1: Is university police going to take it away from me? <laughs> yes, yes, they are. No, it's uh, yeah, honestly right there with you Alex. Like I'm I'm pretty big fan of pregame and even sometimes postgame tailgating, but the pass out is never really anything I've taken advantage of. I don't think I've even done that once. Um Jeff, I know you've been going to games uh you know for for years and years. I'm curious was it was it always this way like i know I know the passout's been there as long as I can remember, but like was it always this way where fans don't even necessarily filter back in until midway through the third quarter
0: i I think a lot of that has to do with the product now the product meaning the team um, i i I've been going to games with my parents since. Uh, 2000 was the first season. I, I think I went to seven home games that year. And you, you just, again, that was a, that was a team that won the big 12 North that beat Nebraska at home that, that team and was, you know, at one point, number two in the country, you, you just didn't see it. Then that wasn't like the, the desire to just leave the stadium at halftime was not there. And then honestly I think it's just again the quality of what we're we're throwing out there I, I think that if you had a much more compelling and a solid big 12 title contending team you'd be much more likely to keep butts in the stadium and not have people you know duck out at halftime now I'll say this i, I I'm in section seven um, my the group that I tailgate with we we park on the west side we're in that second tier so i I, I typically will go out but I can book it get my drink and just drink it on my way back and like that's literally what I do I leave I go to my go to the tailgate I grab a beer I crack it and I walk back to the stadium like that's just what I do I'm not one of these like I'm not going to go out there and just camp for you know half the third quarter and then come back in if it's a competitive game that's that's not really what I do but um I don't get as tweaked about it just because I know like I, that's what I do, but I know I don't speak for everybody who does take advantage of the pass out. I would much rather have, one, the revenue that we would generate from the beer sales. Uh, and I know Gene Taylor would probably be in that camp as well. And two, again, I, I think this would just do just wondrous things for the atmosphere in the third quarter. Uh, we talk so much about how it's just dead in the stadium and if the game's not entertaining or whatever you you you're just going to have you know 15 20,000 people hanging out in there just watching the final, you know, 20 minutes of game time or whatever it is. It's it's unfortunate that it's kind of devolved that way, but I think as I said, a lot of it kind of depends on the quality of the team, but I, I think you could go a long way in just making the atmosphere better just by doing the beer sales. I, I And I'm not also one of these, I think one of the big talking points, you know, at least when John Curry was athletic director, was making everything family friendly, man. Like, I, I, I don't, like, I don't feel, you know, and I, I've got a kid who's three, going to be four here in a couple months. And I've got a daughter who's going to turn one here. Like, I've never once been in a K-State game and felt like my children are, in, in you know their their safety's in danger there's just belligerent people screaming like does that happen in some sections yeah probably but like i've never once felt that way like if i if you if you, if you i was to go to arrowhead stadium like no offense to chiefs fans or i was anything, gonna say man, it if you weren't that that is a completely different freaking animal is going to a game on sunday as opposed to going on set like i've never once felt that and i don't think beer sales would compromise that. Sorry, Alex, I know you wanted to chime in on something there.
2: I was just going to say, as much as I don't like the pass outs, and I'd rather people stay in their seats and and have that good atmosphere from the second half kickoff, uh, they definitely could do a better job of making things more entertaining while you're sitting in your seat during halftime as well. So...
1: The uh, band nerd in me takes offense to that, but that's
2: okay. <laughs> Not just that; I think there's there's before the band and after the band, and you know things during the game and between you know TV timeouts and stuff, where it just they put stuff up on the monitor that is just completely killing the mood of the stadium. Sure, so, sure.
1: So. Well, you know, and to be fair, like to to play devil's advocate, I can definitely understand run out to the parking lot shotgun two keystones come back in rather than stand in line for the duration of halftime to drop $8 on a, you know, room temperature. Like I totally get that. So like I can definitely see both sides of it, but yeah, leaving the stadium once I'm in there is really never been my cup of tea. Well, the thing
2: about selling beer is you don't have to wait till halftime. You could get that beer throughout the entire game. I think Good point. Could tell that's in true. Fourth quarter. True. So it kind of alleviates that some too.
0: I did attend a game last season when they did beer sales at the stadium, and I wanted to try and address one of the questions that's always seemingly brought up by the fans who are in that anti-beer sales faction. What's the cost going to be to me to just buy a beer at the stadium? Listen, I understand that the average K-State fan or the people who who are really in opposition of this. That person's probably thinking back to the last time he or she went to Arrowhead, or you went to Coors Field, you went to Mile High, and you you walk up to the concession stand. Hey, I want a Boulevard Pale Ale. Oh, they threw it in a novelty cup, and then oh dear God, it's eighteen fifty. I know that's where everybody's mind goes, and I know the average K State fan doesn't want to get gouged. Nobody wants to get gouged like that, like that. I, I know that's absurd, but again, there there is a line that you do have to. Acknowledge and know that there is a line between concessions at a professional sporting event versus concessions at a college event. I went to the Texas Tech game last year, I got a couple of Bud Light Tall Boys while I was there, I think they were like 650 apiece forgive me for not remembering the exact dollar amount but again it was very modestly priced and it wasn't anything that i i balked at and i i would presume or or hope that the average person would not be that offended by the prices that that gene taylor and company tried to negotiate for these i think they have k-state fans best interest in mind they want to keep those prices affordable and modest because they they know and understand this fan base and they know as well as anybody that if your average K-State fan walks up to a concession stand and they say, Hey, I want a, a Coors Light. And then they get a tall boy and then somebody says 14 bucks. Inevitably, that's going to lead to an exchange that goes something to the effect of Jesus Christ, I needed to take out a second mortgage to buy this. I could just walk down to the fridge and get a 30 pack of Keystone for that much. And then the person storms off and Gene Taylor gets an angry email and then he's got to read about it on ASCII the EAD and it's a whole thing. I know they want to avoid that. And I, as I said, I, I know they would work to, to negotiate prices that are fair to, to us, the consumer. I'll, I'll say this much just to kind of wrap up this talking point and this particular question. Yes, I I love the convenience of being able to scoot out at halftime. I I am a very avid walker in my day-to-day life. I love to get up and just move around. I like having that 20 or so minutes to just kind of decompress. And I know, though, I am very much in the minority in the sense that I know when I leave the stadium, I am literally just going to go to the parking lot, to my tailgate, grab one or two, put them away, and then walk back into the stadium as soon as I'm done with them. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And I know I am very much the exception and not the norm there. I, I think y- you have to acknowledge th- the benefits that would come from eliminating the passouts and that they far outweigh the the convenience factor that's being afforded to, uh, again, a handful of fans. I, I, that's the other thing, too. I think this is a very small group relative to the to the overall number of people that attend games. I think you just have... Lots of people that are out on the concourse that aren't really pressing all that much to get back in the stadium. Yes, you do have a fair amount of people who jump out at halftime to go and and go back to their tailgate and fire up the grill again or do whatever the hell they're going to do. But uh, I I think eliminating the pass outs, again, you're going to, as a byproduct of that, just have a better atmosphere because you're going to have more people in the building for the start of the third quarter. I'm sure the band's going to appreciate that at halftime. I'm sure the players, again, I don't profess to know the psychology of it, but I can only speak to what I would think and feel as an athlete. If I run out for opening kickoff and there are 45, 50,000 people there and it got a packed house, and then I come out for the third quarter and there's a third of that in the stands, like inevitably I'm going to be not pissed, but I'm probably gonna be a little less motivated, a little less enthusiastic for, for the for this last thirty minutes of game time. I just that's that's just natural there. There's just not nearly as much juice as there there is at the start of the game. And I think eliminating the pass outs takes care of that element of it. The revenue stream I I will absolutely cede. It means nothing to me. I do not work for the K State athletic department. An extra revenue stream means absolutely nothing to me. It holds no water. But I do think it would obviously be helpful to gene taylor and company given the budget issues that were a byproduct of the covid season last year like trying to remedy that with with an with an added flow of revenue would obviously go a long way in doing so uh, and again i i also think there's another point that a lot of people don't talk about the having that convenience to buy throughout the course of the game or i, I would imagine they would probably shut it down after three quarters but having that convenience to buy typically does eliminate the 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 need or the the inclination and impulse to binge drink prior to the game because i i know that that's much more uh, of a of an east side issue than it is a west side issue but uh, i i do think that leads to an overall just a a better experience when you have you don't have people that are just blackout drunk people that are puking in the aisles and things like that you, you know knowing that I have the convenience to buy one or two or three or four, if if you're one of those who really wants to take advantage of it throughout the course of the game, I think knowing that that convenience is there will will again, go a long way in just helping people manage their drinking. I'm certainly not an advocate advocate for binge drinking, but I know it's Saturday. I know this is an opportunity for everybody to cut loose, to enjoy something we're all very passionate about. And I think you have to, As I said, with everything that I just cited, it just makes too much sense to not eliminate the pass outs and to just try and keep people in the stadium and offer beer as one of those perks to keep them in i think that's and there are other things that i think you could do too uh you know something as simple as just putting games on on during halftime and just playing those with no sound while the band does their halftime routine i think that's another thing that you could do if you're if you're gene taylor and, and and you're just trying to offer some kind of for lack of a better term here an amenity to the people who are coming to to watch your products you know i think that's that's one thing that you have to consider so I'm gonna go ahead and, and stop waxing poetic about this. Like I said, I think you need to end this sooner rather than later. It's it's not worth it to keep it around. Uh, I will say, just to kind of finalize this little uh, discussion here, Clint, I am glad that you were able to to indulge and take advantage of the beer sales down there at uh, T Boone Pickens Stadium. Happy to hear you had a good time out there.
3: I'm trying to think of how much they how much they charge down there. I guess I wasn't paying that much attention. Right? <laughs> Take beer. my money.
1: That
0: might be the most damning thing right there. Yeah. I went to the ATM before, and I have no cash now. But...
1: Did you come home with your wallet?
2: I could be wrong. I want to say they were charging like 8 bucks for a beer. That's what I was thinking. Domestic or craft?
3: They ran out of their good stuff pretty early, so it was all Bud Light, Coors Light.
0: Okay. That Neither. Yeah. I'm not too picky, and most K-State fans aren't either. Um, so, K-State uh, next question here from at K-State players. Who are the top pro prospects on the team? Um, I just went by this year's senior class, and, and you guys feel free to to chime in with any others. But I think Timmy Horn is probably the top of everyone's draft board. Uh, you can't coach six five three twenty one. You you just can't. And again with a guy that can anchor a three, four or three, three, five. Like I think NFL draft, you know, and NFL scouts are going to be salivating at, at the prospect of grabbing somebody his size. Um, and then just going down the list here, I thought Josh Revis is going to be fairly high up. He's, he, he's had a really solid season thus far for Kansas state. And I think he's also got some versatility in terms of where you could slide him. Um, Beyond that, though, it's it's pretty lean. I think folks would shy away from Daniel Amater, Bebe just with his history of injuries. I think the same can be said for Skyler. Um, Jerron McPherson. Is he the guy that really has a a lot of great cover skills that are desired and sought after in the NFL? I don't really know. Good in run support, as we know, big time hitter. But I don't know if he's going to be looked at as a guy that's going to be able to be an NFL caliber safety Um, I'll tell you man the sleeper right here the Pats are gonna pick him up as a free undrafted free agent Landry Weber is just gonna go (laughs) in and just wreck people or should I say Landry Welker Uh, let me steal that one from Alex uh, here but that's really all that I had I think if you really Timmy Horn's probably the only one who's getting drafted Josh Rebus maybe an undrafted free agent pickup but I don't see much else beyond that what did you guys have to say
3: So I don't think there's going to be a drafted player from this senior class. Uh, Maybe one of the younger guys goes early. Um, So Timmy Horn, I think he plays a little too stiff. Obviously, like you said, he's huge. He's an athlete. um, But he he does get, you know, just pushed straight up way too much. And you'd think that might be something that's able to be coachable. But, you know, he's a six-year senior, and then he's still doing it. So. Um, say
1: that to his face, Clint.
3: Yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> so yeah, he'll certainly get a look, but I don't. I I doubt he gets drafted at this point. Um, if you If you would have told me Josh Revis was on anyone's draft board a year ago, I would have said you're crazy. But he's been playing phenomenally this year. I think if any senior gets drafted, it's going to be him. Obviously, guards aren't a huge priority in people's draft classes, so you know maybe sixth, seventh round if he does go. Uh, I mean. Jerron McPherson, I I still really like him. He's not an elite cover safety, but, you know, he's good enough that he was playing nickel a couple years ago. He didn't excel in that role, but he was a starter. Um, I, I don't think he gets drafted, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if he works his way onto a team. Uh, thinking about some younger guys who are, are going to get drafted, I think uh, Cooper Beebe and Felix Nudike Uzama are the two top draft prospects on the team. I know a lot of guys, uh, especially D.Y., were saying that um, uh, Julius Brents was going to be going straight to the NFL. You know, he's played all right, but hasn't really wowed yet. I think that's more to do with his measurables. I mean, he's a 6'4", 6'3", 6'4", cornerback. You know, I, I was just saying that a Horn probably wasn't getting drafted, but uh, a 6'4", cornerback is a unicorn. You just don't really see that, so... If he can start making a few more plays, he might be on his way out this year, just based on those measurables. Uh,
1: one guy I might add, who we're obviously not going to hear any more about this year, is Khalid Duke. I mean, you, you you've seen flashes of it here and there, what that guy can do. Um, but I think, yeah, you you've hit on a lot of you've hit on a lot of the younger guys. Obviously, you know, if Deuce can continue to produce, he might get a shot somewhere. His size is always going to be a concern in the league, but. As Darren has showed, that doesn't always mean anything. So, I mean, you got to think that he's, you know, he he he's definitely got potential there as well. And I'm going to go ahead, just for the sake of it, and make a complete shot in the dark here. That You guys can come back, you know, I, you can ask me to show my receipt in four years. I think Andrew Langang will get his name called on draft day.
3: Yep. You know, we went... Oh, sorry, I'm completely blanking on the name. Uh, center for the Bears. Whitehair. We want Whitehair, then uh, Reisner, and I think it's going to cu- be Cooper Beebe, and then Langang. Going to be just uh, offensive guard you down here at K-State.
0: <laughs>
3: I'm going to say Justin Braves Braves
2: earlier this week. Good. Well, I was just going to say, based on what we've heard, I don't think that's you stepping on too much of a limb there, Justin.
1: No, maybe not. I just the kid. The kid has yet to play a snap, so I just that's maybe a little bit of a bold take.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's a true freshman that showed up and was already, you know, getting snaps with the ones in practice. So yeah,
1: I don't yeah. know a ton about offensive line play, uh, but I will say, you know, when they when they secured that commitment when he was still up in North Dakota, just watching him, I was like, this dude just is everything you w- when you think offensive line, you just think a kid like this. So. Yeah. I don't know. Excited to see what he can do. And yeah, he's definitely seems to have all the all the intangibles.
3: Yeah. Talking about Deuce possibly being drafted. I know he's a couple inches taller, but I had forgotten how high Dexter McCluster was drafted. Is he a second round pick for the Chiefs?
1: Uh, I think that's right. Yeah.
3: I mean, yeah. So he's five foot eight, 170 pounds and obviously made the transition to wide receiver, which, you know, I, I think Deuce can probably be a running back in the league, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries to turn him into a slot receiver. Might be a decent comparison as far as uh, college careers. Hopefully he does a little bit better in the NFL.
1: 36th overall, he was a high second rounder. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow.
2: I would say the way that the NFL game is going, you almost have a better shot of being a small guy that can catch the ball than you do just being a traditional running back these days because, you know, nobody's – there's nobody's drafting running backs in the top 10 anymore, barely in the first round anymore. So um, if, if uh deuce can, I think he's strong enough and thick enough that his height isn't, you know, it's not like he's undersized for being his height. He's still pretty stout for, for his size. So I think the strength there, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons Darren Sproles was so uh, durable is he was short, but he was not small. You know, he was th- Thick but fast and strong, and I think Deuce is kind of cut from that same cloth, um, and he will be an asset catching the ball out of the backfield or even out of the slot. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think his height necessarily is going to hold him back. Um, I think he's definitely on the track to to playing in the NFL. Um, a guy like Tariq Cohen can have such a long career, and as a fantasy um, Fantasy football guy, I had Tariq Cohen on my team for like two years in a row, and he would have like three good games the entire season and then suck the rest of the year. That guy can stay on a team. I think Deuce can, can do some stuff. But uh, other than that, I think you guys probably mentioned everybody. Um, except for our boy Reggie Stubblefield is definitely going in the first round. <laughs> That's why so, do you guys think one. that Daniel
3: Green has any future in the NFL, or is Sorry, he? I
2: was gonna, I was gonna say Daniel Green. I think, uh, I think just his athleticism as a linebacker might get him a look in the NFL. Just because it just seems like you know, maybe it's just the Chiefs fan in me, just seeing our slow linebackers. Like, just get a guy that can have some speed and go be aggressive and physical and, and make some tackles. I think a lot of teams are kind of. Um, of need of that, I feel like linebacker is just kind of a it's turning into an afterthought of a position for some reason, it seems like. Um, but yeah, I think he definitely would have a shot. Yeah, do just, you guys
1: think there are any legit threats to declare early this year?
3: You know, we've been hearing for a couple years now that Malik Knowles probably is done with college. Um, uh, I no, I, you're shaking your head, Jeff. I don't think that he's good enough to declare to early, but that's something that has been tossed around by people who know more than I do, that uh, he's not someone who wants to stick around much longer in college and might just go and give it a shot.
1: Sure. You know, I will say it used to be, at least it feels like you didn't declare early unless you were a surefire, like first, second, maybe third round pick. But now we're seeing guys declare early. Byron Pringle went early and didn't get drafted. Riley Moore went early and didn't get drafted. Alex Barnes went early and didn't get drafted. Like, it's just kind of been an interesting, you know, change of the landscape, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, even your draft prospect doesn't seem to play a lot into that anymore.
0: I do I think feel like- that had a lot to do more so with guys not wanting to stick around and and do the Snyder thing for another year. Because that that a lot of those guys, if you think, too, those are the last couple of years of Snyder where, you know, DJ Reed went early, Elijah Lee went early. Like we had a lot of guys that could have stuck and could have been first team all Big Twelve, could have, sure. you know, you could dangle that carrot out there. Hey, you could help us contend for a Big Twelve championship. Hell you could help us do this. And I think that that point just didn't really resonate the way that it did. And I think guys were just kind of burnt out by the whole damn thing and were were wanting to look elsewhere for opportunities, which <laughs> and and again you also you have such a short shelf life in this sport, like in shorter than you did, uh, you know, a while, you know, the last 10, 20 years. So I, I don't begrudge anybody who wants to declare early. But candidly, to your question, though, Clint, I, I don't really see anybody on this squad trying to make the jump a year early. Now, I could have a total egg on my face, but I I just don't see anybody who's jumping off the page right now. That's just me, though. And usually you have to jump quite a bit off the page to to be ballsy enough to say, "Yep, you know what? I'm going to cash out on this whole scholarship thing and say that I'm going to give the NFL a shot." But mm-hmm. um, I'll uh, we got a couple more here to tackle. Uh, I'll go with AP underscore W's question next. Uh, have we reached max capacity, uh, or excuse me, maximum expansion with Bill Snyder Family Stadium? Seeing empty seats at every game leads to believe we have reached our demand. Um, I, I think this is absolutely the case. Um, uh, this kind of circles back to a point that I made. You know, this current generation of students and, and recent graduates too. That they, they didn't really have what all of us had. We're again all of our, in our early and mid thirties here. We 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 got to grow up and watch in our impressionable years teams that were winning eleven games that were mentioned in the same breath, Kansas state and national championship. And it was, it was real. It was tangible. It was something that you knew K-State was going to be in the hunt for. And you you just don't have that now. And you couple that with the fact and I'm not trying to be an old head here. I I am an old soul. I will say that much, but accessibility, being able to watch every game on TV, like I get it, man. And and you, you know, I, 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 I understand the, the convenience factors there, but I, I'm one of those I love being in the stadium, taking in everything that is game day, but I just know that that doesn't really hit with the younger people anymore, and, and you really do have to field a a high level national maybe not a national championship contending team year after year but you have to get it you have to be producing a team that people are going to think is a Big 12 title contender if you want to have butts in the seats that's that's just kind of where i'm at on this issue
2: i'm going to say if anything we could downsize a little bit and i don't think this is a k state thing jeff i don't think it's because that we haven't been the team we were back when we were growing up it's a trend all over the country. you know, a lot of a lot of places are seeing, you know, we were at Stillwater, and I was quite frankly pretty uh, unimpressed with the turnout. It was maybe eighty eighty percent full in the stadium, maybe less than that. I don't know. but uh, I'll admit it, I'm you know, I'm married. I got three kids. I used to have season tickets. I don't have season tickets anymore, you know, It's pretty nice just watching the game on my couch. And not, you know, having to go through. Granted, I still like to go to games, but I'm just, I'm probably not going to every game anymore like I used to. Um, So, yeah, I think also the fact that, you know, if anything, just the population of Manhattan and the lack of surrounding population. I mean, it's pretty impressive that we have a 50,000 seat stadium in the first place. But, uh, yeah, I I think you always want to keep your, your supply a little bit below demand. Um, You don't want to have those empty seats on, on TV. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good when you have recruits visiting. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think across the country, you know, the, the idea that we just need bigger and bigger stadiums is kind of gone away over the last probably decade or so. Um, So, yeah, I used to think, Fifteen years ago, I'm like, oh, man, we need 60, 65,000 because we don't look big time if we have a 50,000 seat stadium. But now it's like our stadium's really damn nice. It doesn't matter if it only seats 50,000. It wouldn't matter if we if we went down to like 45 um, as long as it's full on game days, you have good fan experience, you have good atmosphere, you have a nice stadium, nice facilities for the players. So.
1: Yeah, I, uh, something I guess worth noting is, and Alex, you kind of alluded to it is like just the, the availability, you know, from a broadcast standpoint these days, you know, you don't even have to be on a television channel to still be able to watch the game at home. Like, you know, it's, it's just kind of fact of the matter. It's just the life we live now. And a lot of people, you know, like you said, with, you know, small kids or that have to make the drive, you know, it's. It's easier. It's cheaper to just throw it on your TV and be done with it. Um, you know, cook your own food at home for a fraction of the cost, not have to deal with, you know, loading up the kids in the car, you know, getting them into the stadium, feeding them at the stadium, blah, 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 blah. Like there's definitely a convenience factor there. Yes. The game day atmosphere cannot be replicated, but that doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. All that said, do I think we're at our capacity seating wise? Absolutely. That's not to say that like you know, we could definitely still, you know, spruce up some of the amenities. You know, I know there's been talk for years about, you know, the East side's kind of gone neglected, Uh, you know, things like that. So it's like, I think there's definitely still things that could be improved at the stadium. But in terms of number of seats, yeah, no, we we don't need to be adding any more.
0: All right, let's jump into the one that nobody's probably going to (laughs) have the great answer for here. Uh, Brett Morey, thanks for shouting out at us here. Uh, What is it exactly about the third quarter that causes our offense to go into a shell? Um, I'll just go ahead and toss this out here. So here are the first drives of the third uh, Stanford three plays punt, uh, no yards, Southern Illinois, and keep in mind, this is with Will Howard, 14 plays, 66 yards, 34 yard field goal. Nevada three plays, one yard punt, but you do have Will Howard missing uh, Nick winners on what should have been a big, you know, 40, 50 yard play on the scene that they, uh, they just didn't have a great connection on for whatever reason. Uh, So again, three plays, one yard punt against Nevada, Oklahoma State, three plays, three yard punt, Oklahoma three plays, three yards punt. So, those are your opening third quarter drives. Who wants to jump on this? It's because of the
2: pass outs.
1: <laughs> if there were butts in the seats, they'd be scoring touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna
2: say. Uh, no, it's just-
3: weird. Um, I I don't know what to really make of it. I mean, are are the other teams making adjustments, and we're just kind of waiting to see those adjustments before we really do anything. It's hard to say it I, it's happened too many times now for it just to be a coincidence, but I don't have a great answer.
1: I'd be curious to know how that stacks up to our opening drive at the first quarter. I mean, I know you probably don't have that like readily in front of you, but like it would be interesting because I mean, there are several times we do seem to come out and just bang, bang bang right down the field on our first drive. So yeah, that makes it all the more perplexing. I know I Maury, I was giving you crap for it, man. Like, I I was afraid someone was going to ask it because there's just no logical answer. It's kind of like, why has no K-State basketball team in the last 20 years been able to shoot at the free throw line? You know, it's just one of those. I don't think anyone's ever going to know the answer.
0: And just going off the top of the dome here. So the opening possession against Stanford, you have Skylar getting picked in the end zone on that pass that was intended for Philip Brooks.
1: But we were Uh, driving.
0: Yep. That was yeah. a good drive that we had thrown together. Opening possession against uh Southern Illinois. You get a touchdown. Uh opening possession against Nevada. You obviously hit Daniel Matterbabe down the seam for the big touchdown pass. Opening possession against Oklahoma State. You have the nice, I think it was like 13 play, 68 yard drive that ends in a field goal, and then opening drive against OU. You have the Jaccartier fumble when you're down on your uh, or down on Oklahoma's inside the 15, I believe Uh, is when, when, when that ended up happening. So.
1: You can move the ball when you're coming in cold. Why can't you do it after a half a football? It's really the million dollar question.
0: I'll, I'll just say this. I think a lot of it is understanding tendencies and that's more so coordinate, uh, you know, what, what do our coordinators know about the opposing staff? Do like, if we're get, you know, we're going in, we're just gashing them with with Irvin and and Vaughn bon on the boundary, and we're just running wide on them. You know, do we know is Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State? Does he look at that and say, you know what, we're we're not going to adjust. We're going to continue to do what we've been doing. Or essentially, I think there's a lot of guesswork involved, but I think some coordinators are guys that really try and overcorrect. And I think there are some that just say, we got to keep doing what we're doing because, you know, yeah, we gave up this play, but we had a blown assignment or we gave up these two plays, but we had a miscommunication in coverage or whatever the case is. So I think a lot of it comes down to just understanding tendencies of the other staff and what they're more inclined to do if they are one of those that really overcorrects uh, if the uh, if the opposing staff is one that really overcorrects and tries to compensate for where we're really hitting them hard, again, if we're if Mater Bebe is working down the seams, if we're finding Malik Knowles, you know, on on the boundary, whatever it is, they say we have to sit on those routes, we have to eliminate this, we have to make them throw here to to move the ball, we have to take Deuce Spawn running to the wide side of the field away, like we have to negate that. So I think my my biggest thing is. Our, our staff maybe not having the best understanding of the opposing staff's tendencies after halftime and what they are more inclined to do. Um, from a player perspective, um, I, I feel like Skyler Skylar has a lot of trust with this staff, and I think there's a lot of that trust, the process mentality with him, where he really does heavily rely on, you know. What do my coaches see in the booth? What am I what are my checks here? I, and I think maybe he relies on that a little bit too much as opposed to what he is actually with his own eyes seeing down on the field. What, you know, what coverage do, do I think that they're coming out in? You know, we saw he, you know, Klein's looking up at the booth and he says they're giving us this look. So that means, you know, weak side safety is coming down here. They're gonna run this coverage, whatever the case is. I I think Skyler gets in his own head a little bit. On those, but again, we're also talking about here in this limited sample size of this season, third quarter drives. There have been some opportunities there. We talked about it that just the miscommunication between Linners and 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 Will Howard in that game against Nevada on what should have been a big chunk play, and then this uh, this pass game against Oklahoma. You have the deuce fawn running the little angle route over the middle and he makes one too many cuts and skyler throws it in the wrong spot and that could have been another big play where deuce rips oklahoma right up the middle for 30 40 however many yards so i think they're there but like i said i i think coaches need to do a better job understanding opposing staff tendencies and i think skyler needs to maybe rely more on what he's seeing on the field as opposed to what he feels like the coaches are trying to relate to him i think he gets in his own head about that a little bit that's that's just my thought and and again i touched on the execution element but i hate giving that answer but it's probably a combination of all three and and, and it is that's that's just my my two cents there so um Gonna tackle a, a quick one here from Silverback Gorilla. This is Tristan Winkle. Uh, apparently not a sibling of Taton, but I'm gonna take a shot in the dark and guess that there is some relation there. Um, what is your guys' opinion on the defense over the last couple of games? In mind, we aren't playing at the level that we were before conference play began. And if I'm not mistaken, we didn't stop OU once besides the INT. Uh, do you? Think that didn't help in the loss to the Sooners. Well, short answer: yes. Uh, K-State's defense w- was abysmal in that game, and I'm going to recite the same stat that I reeled off in the Oklahoma recap pod. Uh, based off of Oklahoma's starting field position for all their drives, they gained 77% of the available yards, 356 out of the 462. Uh, that's that's a that's not a bad number. That's a deplorable number. Like that's that's an indication of so many different things it's bad tackling it's deficiencies in personnel groups it's bad alignment it's it's a lot of different things and, and k state's philosophy in that contest was to eliminate big plays but oklahoma's got the type of personnel where where they can they can kill you a lot of different ways and in, in oklahoma this was death by a thousand cuts they they nickel and dimed k state all day long they got a, a you know they had a big 40-yard completion to, to Marvin Mims, but beyond that, it wasn't. It was a lot of the. It was an 11-yarder here, a 14-yarder here, or, or an eight-yard. Like it was just Spencer Rattler being extremely sharp and, and making the right reads, knowing exactly where to go with the ball based off of the coverages that K-State was throwing out there. And, and again, we're we're going to be reciting a lot of the same talking points here as far as the. The, the shortcomings personnel wise, uh, the linebacker room, it was it was a concern of everybody's going into the season. And I think that's really starting to manifest now that we're getting into Big 12 play and you have offenses that are going to test you quite a bit more in terms of your lateral sideline to sideline speed at that second level of defenders. Again, I think state fans need to make peace with who they have in, in that room at this moment in time they're they're just you're not going to be able to find some sort of magical answer and just say oh well it's Wayne Jones Wayne Jones is going to start getting you know 45 50 snaps a game at linebacker or like he's been getting snaps Nick Allen's been getting snaps Cody Fletcher Daniel Green obviously there's this this group is what it is you're just gonna have to make peace with that if you're a K-State fan uh and it's really at this point I I have to say it's just it's incumbent on on Kländerman to to develop more creative and exotic looks and, and approaches to attacking opposing offenses. Uh, K-State was not great in terms of, of Havoc plays. It only had seven on, on 60 snaps against Oklahoma. Uh, if, if you want to win games in the Big 12, you have to get teams off schedule, and K-State failed to do that. Now, again, this is an Oklahoma offense that's being led by a Heisman Trophy contender. So perhaps use that to stabilize your expectations and 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 again you're you're this is an oklahoma team that's going to score points on on a lot of folks and i think people need to realize that And, and and in the same breath you need to understand that i think this group is still in a position to be good as far as big 12 defenses go it's it's not a mob caliber defense i know a lot of especially the younger crowd likes to get on and just say the mob is back the mob I know I talked about it earlier in the show. Here, I was fortunate enough to start going to games, and, I, and I'm talking six, seven games every year. in In the late '90s and early 2000s, I saw those defenses firsthand, and they gave opposing offenses absolutely nothing. And that is not this defense, and the game has changed very drastically from where it was in the year, you know, 1999 to the war, the to what we're seeing right now in 2021 so if if your expectation was 13 points a game uh four yards per play and 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 275 yards allowed per game you got to temper those quite a bit i still think this is going to be a decent defense in the big 12 uh the other thing i do have to say too there's a lot of people that just think it, it's it's feasible to make a, a wholesale philosophical change and oh we need to revert back to a four down lineman front and start throwing out a you know a nickel base or whatever the case is i, I think you might see some some packages like that where maybe k-state brings out uh you know four of their dns to rush, rush pass passer on, on third and longs you might see some four down linemen on standard downs now but is case going a wholesale change and revert from 335 back to 425 i i don't think that's going to happen uh and, and you've also got some some injuries in that defensive line room especially at the defensive end room in particular with Khalid Duke being lost for the season bronson Massey's going to be on the shelf for a minute so Again, I, I think Klanderman and company will will introduce you know some some new packages for Iowa State, uh, but I don't think this group is going to deviate away from what it's been this entire season, which is a three three five. So, the the defense w- was uh, to to again come back to your question, uh, Tristan. It, it, again, the defense was the big reason why K State lost, obviously against Oklahoma. You, you you have to force a punt, <laughs> um, and especially when the offense moved the ball as efficiently as it did, the, the offense really generated the type of game that k-state needed to have in terms of low possession oklahoma only had eight meaningful possessions uh nine if you would include the final kneel down in the game but you, you played the type of game you got the pace of game that you wanted and your defense couldn't generate one punt. That's that's why they lost. Um they, they, they have to get better at that. That's that's really all that it comes down to. And as I said, it's really gonna be on Klanderman here to start finding ways with this personnel that he's been dealt to 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 create more havoc plays and to to be more disruptor more disruptive than they have been through the first two conference games. That's that's really all that it comes down to. We'll go ahead and put a bow on it with this one last one and this is from uh, Life of Fits and again thank you uh, Fitz for, for reaching out to us on this one. Uh, if you were to open a bar in MHK, what part of town would you put it in and what would be the general theme of your creation? Who wants to jump on this?
3: So I always had this idea when I was a young man, a young 21-year-old man that didn't really like going to Aggieville. I just liked going to house parties. So I always wanted there to be a bar that just emulated house parties, <laughs> not just having like a little, like uh porch and a little uh beer pong table but uh, having like a real all-out you know three-story house having like a big kegger party having the yard games out in front and i'm pretty sure there's bars that have have done that since then have totally ripped off my idea that i never told anyone about it just was in my head somehow they stole it from me but uh that's what i do still
0: do i get to step on the vomit covered floor that's also coated with jungle juice as well. Oh, that's part I will, of it. I will there's, not there's go. There's going to be
3: a kitchen that everyone just kind of takes shots in, and the floor is completely gross and sticky. There's a <laughs> bunch of dishes in the sink. It's a real, just <laughs> real house party.
1: The toilet seat's missing for some reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Three, uh, three empty shower beers. We don't know how long they those have been in there. Uh,
2: <laughs> There's also piss covered uh, couches in the in the garage that you're welcome to crash on. Yeah, I was gonna say there then some but somebody will warn you, dude, you don't wanna sit on that. Yeah, you don't want
1: to sit on that. And John Belushi is just always there for some reason. <laughs> No, I'm going to go a very, very different route on this one. I've actually put a lot of thought into this since Fitz asked it. Asked it, and uh, I think I'm I'm staying away from Aggieville. Um, I know you're going to lose a lot of student traffic, but uh, that you know that area out west of town toward Colbert Hills is really nice, and I think something a little more upscale could actually do pretty well out there. Um, if you could get some kind of you know outdoor covered patio set up where you could use it several months out of the year. Uh, you know, that, that opens up some opportunities for some live music. Uh, cause that's one thing that I don't know that Manhattan, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but you know, a cat house, I know had music every now and again, but, uh, I don't know of anywhere that's like consistently had live music. So if you could get that set up, that would probably be the general theme of it. But yeah, I, I think that area out there, uh, opens you up to some, to some pretty nice opportunities.
2: I really have no input on the matter. I've been trying to think Did you of not like, do the assignment, Alex, for the love of God. <laughs> I barely thought about it, and I keep trying to think of funny premises for a bar, and I can't think of anything.
0: Jeff, what you got? so i uh, I, I will say this, i I would love to put something up north of where the stadium is, where where Rock and ks is, and they keep building in that area. But also that's like that's so far away from kind of student housing it's away from hotels like unless you started slapping a bunch of hotels in there and you would actually get some more traffic on on game days that's the other thing too on what what happens out there on non-game days um my wife was giving me shit on this because she was saying that I didn't do the assignment because I said I wanted to make a brewery instead of a bar. But I don't care. I said I wanted to make a brewery, so I'm going to make a goddamn brewery. So um I went to... um uh, my thought was, uh, I do want to stay away from Aggieville, and, and not surprising that, that everybody wants to go that route, because um, if you go to Aggieville, then Johnny Cause, Bomb Shot Bar, whatever the hell it's called, it's just going to snatch you up. Um, I, I the the lot that is next to, uh, it's right across from Hoolahan's. It used to be like a shop. I can't remember. That was a Shop Quick or a Dara's or, Christ, what would I, I, anyway, but. I know they've cleared some of that area out, so it's right across from cam- it's it's right across from campus. It's walking distance from student housing. If you go back, you know where Laramie and all those streets back there. Um, I, that would be my location for this. Uh, I want to call it Wildcat State Brewing Company. I know that seems lame, but I. I went to a brewery up in Ann Arbor, and I'm totally I'm totally swiping it from them, but it's right by uh, the big house, and it was called Wolverine State Brewing, and I thought that was just really, like you know what it's plays off of that name obviously, but I think that's good, and you know obviously not just Kansas State Brewing Company or whatever, but uh, and I would just do exclusively K State themed beers, and I I found a tweet because I, I dropped this to Kurtz many many years ago, um, I wanted to do like all K-State craft beer. So here's the list that I had, primitive list here. But uh, the Points Porter, Haymaker Hellas, Anderson Pale Ale, Catterday IPA, that would probably be a favorite, uh, Wabash Wheat, the Snyder Cider, Bramwich Bach, Weefald Winter Lager, Optimus Klein Oktoberfest, the Kedzie Kolsch, and then the Frank Mertzen, after our good... F- <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that would, that would be my call there. I, I, I again, I'm more of a, a death before domestic type of guy, but that's the other thing too, that I think about like how many, you know, I know, I don't know all K-State fans, but I know most K-State fans are going to be much more inclined to pick up a 30 pack of push than they are to, to go and try and drink any one of the beers that I just reeled off there. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I would, I would take a shot on that. I think that.
2: Go ahead, Alex. Uh, so, hate to break it to you, Jeff, but that area they cleared across from the alumni center, they're building, like, condos for – it's like an alumni village.
1: Alumni condos, yeah. I just saw that when I was there a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yeah. my. Sorry about that. That's why they bought out – it was Adara's, and apparently they're, like, 500 grand per condo or some shit like that. Jeff, Jeff I've got that another was a location pretty
1: solid, for you. Uh, a pretty solid beer list. Could I also petition for like an Eco Cat IPA or yes. a, a I was going to say Stout we, maybe.
2: I was going to say I'm not sure we need to name a beer after John Weefald so we can switch him in Eco Cat. Unless you have a spot for John Weefald, that's fine. The Eco Cat Winter locker. <laughs> I don't really want a beer no, named Okay. So
3: how about this alternate uh location? College and Kimball, guys.
0: There you go. We're just right there roll. in that
3: uh, that sunflower field.
0: I was gonna say the fine folks at Woodway apartments would I, oh man, I would have been in heaven living out there. And it's
3: right at, yeah, I was gonna So what's the one behind it with the pool everyone used to University go to? University
1: Crossing. University Crossing, that's it. UC. No, and I will say, Jeff, you mentioned that area that's kind of been growing over by the stadium. That's actually where I was originally thinking and my wife reminded me; she's a Manhattan alum, uh, a Manhattan native. She reminded me of that area out by the golf course. That's probably a little more scenic, I guess. So that, uh, and I think there were just more opportunities for you know outdoor patio seating. But uh, it's also fun to picture uh, Clint's Shithole Bar out there amongst all that nice stuff too. So
2: <laughs> I do think there is a long-term plan for the the Kimball Corridor um, to have some more stuff out there by the stadium.
1: Is that your bar name too, the Kimball Corridor? That's right. Clint, did your bar have a name?
3: No, there's no sign. It's literally just a house that was in Aggieville (laughs) that you go to.
1: (laughs) And the house changes addresses every two weeks. (laughs) How about you, Jeff? Did you have a name for yours?
0: I said Wildcat State Brewing Company, but you man, did say I, that. I'm sorry. No, no, it's like I said. I, I I said that, and I totally stole it from the Wolverine State Brewing Company when I like I said when I was up at Michigan. But um, totally open to ideas there, and, and I, I will offer up a shameless plug. Man, Manhattan Brewing Company, they they do great stuff. Like, and I I picked up their they're weed. That's, that's kind of my go-to on game day. I've been, <laughs> I've been working through those here these last couple of Saturdays because quite frankly, I've needed some, well, the Oklahoma state game in particular, Wolftown. town, but, but yeah, they do great stuff out there and try and go and check them out. If you're going to be going to the game here in a couple weeks, for sure. They're, they're a great spot. And
1: uh, pour one out for tall grass while you're at it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. RIP. Um, but Guys, I think that's as uh, good a spot as any to go ahead and call it quit. So thank y'all if you've stuck with us this long. This has been been a fun one, enjoyed the Q&A. As I said, we appreciate everybody dropping those questions to us. Had a lot of fun uh, coming up with the answers here. And we will be back, of course, next week. We'll get you primed for Pharmageddon. Big game coming up. Dare I stay a must-win for Chris Kleiman. Uh, if he wants to certainly keep fan interest and avoid that uh, that ugly eight-game conference losing streak, go ahead.
1: Alex, you ready for this? I'll bet Iowa State busts out their purple road alternates.
2: I see what you did there.
0: <laughs> Way to commit to the bit this time, Alex. God. Oh, man, we're getting punchy. we got to shut this shit down. <laughs> Okay, go ahead and do the podcast thing. Rate, review, and subscribe on whatever your preferred platform is. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's college underscore Kimball. As I said, we will be back next week to preview Farmageddon. And until then, it's been our pleasure. We'll wrap it up the way that we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.